Hey, this is Ross Bain with Roblin Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 113, Van Art Gaming. This is about old school gaming, the old school renaissance, old school aesthetics, uh, or the aesthetic of the Say old... Say old a couple more times, Ross. Uh, van Art. That's, yes. Uh, so with me as always is Mr. Tom Church, and uh, not as always, but more frequently, uh, Caleb. Hello. Yes. And... Caleb is so calm and sedate, unlike us, Ross. Well, yeah. You gotta, you gotta go somewhere. You can't start high. Sure, you can. Woo! Yeah, no. Uh, You've been badgered. Yeah. Badger. Yeah, we're not the zoo crew though, but we do have some dignity. Uh, don't what? don't answer that. Don't don't reply to that. Uh, so uh, we will delete all comments regarding our dignity. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, um, so yeah, in this episode, we're, we uh, are going to be talking about the aesthetic of gaming from like the 70s and the early 80s. Uh, this is inspired recently because I got a new RPG, Dungeon Crawl Classics from Goodman Games. It is a massive hardcover. Uh, you you can actually stop a mugging with it. It is like a phone book in size. Uh, it's, yeah, stops low caliber bullets. And it's uh, got me thinking uh, that we should, we, we have it really experience the old school gaming that much we're more into the newer uh kind of games uh but we should talk about because that's that's it's experiencing a renaissance now so there's a lot of games that are uh being played right now that talk about this so uh let's talk of course but we lads at the time yes so we didn't Uh, exactly experience it no 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 never well i mean yeah we didn't it's one of those things we just we talk about yeah, uh, like, or you hear from older gamers. I mean, Scott Glancy can talk about it. He can. Yeah, yeah. There's very uh, little he cannot do. Well, this is true. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so we also have some news. Um, so before we get into the main topic, uh, first off, I am going to Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, May 22nd to the 25th. Uh, I found a uh, friend whose couch I will be crashing on, and we will be sharing a table there. Uh, her name is Diana Botsford. She wrote uh, s- an episode of Star Trek The New Next Generation. She actually taught me script writing in school. And uh, so, yeah, I'm like, hey, I'll, I, I get a free couch to crash on. Sure, I'll make it. Uh, so I'll be running some, hopefully, some demos of Base Raiders. Uh, so if you're an RPPR fan, stop on by, say hi, uh, buy my book. Uh, <laughs> plane yes, tickets. You, yes, buy it. Plane tickets aren't free. It's uh, all it gets Ross up in the morning. Yes. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, next up, uh, a book that Caleb and I both worked on uh, I'm very proud of Firewall is out for Eclipse Phase Woo! yes uh, the PDF of it is out the printing has not yet happened but it will I'm sure they will have uh, sexy hardcovers in time Failed for Gen Con control. that, that yeah. last outburst you had yeah we talk, you talk about having to build up I mean you just started it you're at a 9 already I mean we need you about it at a 7 yeah. um, no the, the book's out It's uh, we wrote a big section of it uh, and it is Totes entertaining to read, uh, even the stuff we did not write, uh, especially the stuff. Oh we yeah, did not yeah. Write, actually, uh, but yeah, uh, somebody somebody on Facebook today posted a quote that I wrote <laughs> as as like excited to read this book already. It was like squee, and I totally took credit for it because I'm a shameless whore for publicity. <laughs> but uh, it, it made me very happy. I worked on a lot of books last year, and I told a lot of people about yeah. working on books last year, and. Very few of those books are actually out. So it is nice to see one actually exist and validate my 12 months of toil. 
<laughs> You're wandering in the desert. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So a uh, horse with no name. <laughs> I was thinking more. You know, forty days and okay. All right. Let's admit we we would probably name that horse Steve. <laughs> Steve. Steve. Uh, we name all NPCs. Thank you, Steve. Uh, except in Payday Two, where uh, Aaron has named all Joker cops Carl. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of that, uh, Aaron is still doing raillery videos, including some Payday Two videos that uh, we've been playing. Uh, there's are they as good as Body Ball? Uh, body ball where you throw body bags into windows and uh, <laughs> like, in one of the bank the house. Well, like, at the same yeah. time, like, during I remember that game, like I was actually opening the vault. Yeah. So you're like, where was Tom during? I was like, I'm doing the heist. Yeah, no, it's clearly there. It's a it's a king of it's a sport, it's a sport of kings. <laughs> the kings they write out of history books, you know. Uh, but uh, so that's fun. There's also the. Um, meth cook-off where I uh, try my ghost forcer where you, if you put a silencer on a light machine gun it makes it better uh, so I wish sh- this should probably wait for anecdotes but in watching your payday videos I think I've developed the Ross Payton uh, theory of gaming aesthetic for these oh, yeah? video games yeah. yeah I think I got you pegged oh yeah you care to elucidate these uh, well that's obviously for the uh, <laughs> anecdotes so. oh okay alright alright we'll, we'll get into that um, and then finally oh, sorry. I was saying that. yeah I I just do the work. Yeah. No, you are. All very... the kings are playing over there. <laughs> uh, it's like, how's that vault coming? You're like, it's fine, your yeah, majesty. Fix that drill. That broke, <laughs> broke ass broke, piece of drill. Broke dick drill. <laughs> yes. Um, so finally, we also have some more serious news uh, in that there was a controversy, uh, national controversy over a law in Indiana that affected Gen Con, which is, uh, and so we wanted to. Uh, the law in question is called the the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It is uh, there are similar acts in other states and in the federal laws, uh, but not identical. And I don't want to get too much into speculation no, not about the politics involved, about the politics or the motives of people who do it or anything like that, because there's not there's no real court case or anything where people can say exactly what would happen if this law was passed. But we thought we would mention it because of the Facebook thread yeah. got a little heated it did and uh first off we i want to confirm that we will be going to gen con this year uh gen con is still being held in indiana it has not been yeah. canceled or anything like that and we don't and we don't expect anything to really happen from it uh yes because right now as of today actually uh because we planned to do this episode uh we scheduled a couple days ago but as of today they, they, they announced that they're going to add protections uh to make sure that business owners could not discriminate against LGBT customers uh, against gay customers. And that was the major controversy of the act because people, uh, very many legal scholars and people looked at the law said that the Indiana law would allow discrimination of gay customers, whereas the federal and other state laws in other states, uh, at least some of the other states, would not. And uh, legally, there was no accompanying non-discrimination bill in the state, unlike yeah. things like Illinois, which is changing today. And, yeah, and so when when the law is worded as in least restrictive uh, yeah. and compelling state interest, if there's a law on the books already, and then you add your RFRA Act, well, the compelling interest is that the state already has a law, and the least restrictive is that nobody has to change a law. Yeah, but if people start discriminating against people. From therefore, you have to prove the state has a compelling interest, and then you have to prove that passing massive, widescape, municipal, and uh, statewide hate legislation is a least restrictive act, which is you know nigh 
yeah. impossible to do. Um, and, but now they changed it. So yeah. Well, really, what happened is after the uh, the original law was passed or in, uh, passed by the legislators and was going to be signed by the governor, uh, the Gen Con people, the CEO of Gen Con, um, yeah, can't. Stout? Stout? Yeah. Well, okay. I think a lot of people... I, I saw Stacey at Kirby, but I don't think she's the... She's but the yeah, the manager. letter was signed by the CEO, yeah. um, who has just an amazing name. And Look yeah. it up. It's yeah. absurd. <laughs> but basically, uh, Gen Con said, uh, we have a contract saying that we have to stay in Indianapolis until 2020, because... Uh, but we will not... We will look at other venues, other cities, very seriously starting 2021, if this law remains as it is. Uh, and Gen Con puts in like $50 million into Indianapolis every year over a period of four days, uh, which is a lot of money, a lot of tax money. Uh, so, and then of course, many other companies uh, came out against the law and um, oh, and also so Salesforce, did, so did the mayor which, of, uh, of Indianapolis. Yeah, Indianapolis, yeah. a lot of, and so, um, but what happened was a lot of gamers, a lot of people there were like, well, I'm not going to go to Gen Con this year. It's obvious. I can't go. I'm, I'm just going to boycott it immediately. Uh, and then other people, well, maybe if you've already locked in for this year, that's fine. But if you go next year, you're clearly, um, you know, you, you should, you're a hypocrite and you, you obviously support this law or you're not supporting a moral boy, boycott or something like that. And I and st- that's why we're bringing this up yeah. on the podcast because we should be clear that in no way, shape, or form is RPPR like even entertaining the idea that, you know, LGBT people need to rhetorically defend their right to exist or anything yeah. like that. Like, no one's saying, resolved, you should not stone me. Like, that's <laughs> that's a terrible way to live. Uh, and we just take that as a given. But the whole, like, well, I'm not going to Gin Con this year because yeah. of this. Like, that just seems so backwards and kind yeah. of out of out of left field to us that is what we're commenting on. So, Ross, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I just said we stand with Gen Con. I think they yeah. made their... They're, they're, they were in a very difficult position uh, and they did the best they could. They they worked through the appropriate channels and I think uh, they it was there's probably a lot of back scene, behind the scenes pol- ma- uh, political machinations between them, uh, the Chamber of Commerce and many other organizations to put pressure onto Mike Pence and the state legislators in order to add this bill, yeah. this protection. Um, and I would say, even if even if this thing wasn't amended yet by the yeah. time we go, I wasn't even I was totally not worried because yeah. the Indianapolis itself, especially the shop owners, yeah, and that's basically they all love Gen Con. Yes, that's some of their bit busiest time. Well, I think I also want to point out that I think Gen Con is a very um, Tolerant, very I want to exclusive, yeah, very inclusive, inclusive inclusive, uh, organization, and I think um, I'm not saying gamers are perfect, but I do think gamers, uh, on average, are more tolerant of other people of other uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know sexualities and that kind of thing than the average person, whatever that. We hate orcs. We don't hate other. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we hate imaginary (laughs) others that don't really exist, so we can project all our. Uh, <laughs> tribal instincts onto. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's hell. It's, yeah. Screw you, goblins. Yeah, screw you, imaginary people, uh, not real people. So, um, and yeah, so that's what, that's what I think. Uh, so. uh, and I am of the opinion that most people who came uh, 
boycotting Gen Con, had no real intention of going to Gen yeah. Con in the first place. Because first off, if you're serious about going to Gen Con, by the time the RFRA stuff comes out, you're as economically locked into Gen Con as Gen Con is. Because, yeah. oh, yeah. holy God, it's absurd the amount of planning you have to do. Uh, furthermore, there are were the first people on board to do this. Like they did everything right as an organization, and were as inclusive as possible. Yeah, uh, considering the amount of money, and I just think that uh, while the RFRA, uh, I think it's unquestionable that it had bad intentions, considering the people who signed the law with Mike Pence. Have you seen that photograph? Yeah, and yeah. it has been. Uh, and it has been negated uh, and somewhat neutered legislatively now. Uh, I, I think, like, a perspective is in order. Because, like, if you think that, like, boycotting Gen Con is the most powerful move you can make for equal rights in America right now, you haven't been paying attention. Like, in Kentucky, a basketball player came out to his team during a game and they just chased him they were chased on a bus by the opposing team and their parents down a Kentucky highway. Like in Springfield, we have a non-discrimination clause making sexual orientation a protected class. And Tuesday they're voting to repeal it because there's a whole lot of people in our city that are just like, hey, remember when we could legally hate people? That was, was just well. Yeah, let's go back to that. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that you like get fired up about. Like, Gen Con wasn't militant left enough for yeah. you and your politics. I mean, like, I think yeah, there you are weren't going. You weren't going to Gen Con. There, well, not. yeah, and there are a lot of gay people in that go to Gen Con and enjoy it. I think that you know uh, that benefit from it. So, um, and there there is a point I would like to make about the actually the RF. Uh, RA in general, like the federal law. And I think there is the, the fact that the, there is sort of this difference um, that, you know, pe- gay people deserve, yeah, obviously, the same civil rights as everyone else. But so do religious people, de- you know, deserve the same legal protection that any. And they're, they're, the original, like, federal law was decided because of a case where in the 1990s where... He wanted uh, to keep Native Americans from going to two decades of federal prison for a Schedule One narcotic because yeah. they were using peyote in a yeah. ritual. Our Amish people don't want to use bright orange reflectors, so they compromise and use reflective tape when driving a buggy on the highway. Like, that's good stuff right. for a law. And I think there's a lot of people... I mean, it's if you're a religious person, if you're a person of faith... And I think in these times, politics have become more and more divisive. You, you, there is an understandable anxiety that you feel that your your religion, your rights as a person to re- exercise your free, you know, your religion may be impinged upon, and you want to know that you will have additional protection. I mean, I've read essays that are pro this uh, act because they say, well, this will make sure that you know their fundamental rights to exercise religion will not be impinged, and. I understand those motives, and I think that there are people out there that can support these laws without and still support gay rights, that it, these are not mutually exclusive. There are people whose faith says that they have to be opposed to gay marriage and whatever, uh, but I, I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of an irreconcilable difference right now between these two standpoints to, to some people, and we obviously can't resolve it here, but I want to say that we're not saying that we don't believe the people don't have the right to exercise their religion, you know, and that kind of, it's, it's, uh, and we're certainly not trying to insult or, you know, make anybody feel like, I mean, there's a lot of Christians out there who feel like 
they're being rolled up with the Westboro Church, or you know that you know the yeah the the indignation is not all aimed in the same direction. It's yeah. omnidirectional ind- indignation. Uh, yeah, but I mean it's understandable there because there are many liberal Christians who are accepting of gay and lesbian. Yeah, they're gay and lesbian and moderate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they get. Uh, I, I understand there are many people who feel like there's such a thing as Christian defamation when they're being lumped in with the people who do exist that are like full blown hate speeching. Yeah. But at the same time, like as a nerd who is an atheist and has very few beliefs, uh, <laughs> I, I equally get into you know indignant when people start lumping me in with like some conception of a nerd that they got off of. Nerd blackface, aka uh, Big Bang Theory, that I am a quantum physicist who has Asperger's and has never seen a woman before. Like, yeah. But yeah, it's because you're being lumped, and like, is that uh, as severe a concern as like being denied service because your sexual orientation? By all means, no. Yeah. But you know, that's a ma- it's all a matter of perspective. So like, when you're commenting on your Facebook page, try and keep cool. Cause yeah. People are only looking at I mean, it from it, their blinders. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and the, everyone, everyone wears their own blinders. Yeah. Right. And so the whole the reason we brought this up is give me Ken because of the Gen Con angle. And uh, RPPR is a celebration about tabletop gaming and having fun and getting together with your friends to you know escape from reality and kill those imaginary people that you don't like. Uh, you and don't uh, die. Uh, yeah, do I actually die because they aren't real? Uh, and that's and that's what we're about. And that's uh, and I think people of all. Uh, backgrounds can enjoy that, you know. Or, hey, for all I know, maybe our actual RPGs, we don't even kill them. It's like one of those war games when yeah. it's over, they're like, it's everyone, like paintball. everyone gets up. Yeah. Like, whoa, man, that was good. It's like Wreck It Ralph, you know, yeah. it's all, it's, and they exactly. have their own support groups. Uh, and so that's what we're about. And, um, so that's that's enough of that of politics. And we'll definitely yeah. see you all at Gen Con. Yeah, we'll definitely be at Gen Con. We'll be going to Gen Con. It sounds like for Indy for the future, because from what I've heard that there's no other... Actually, you know, one thing I did find out in this so is that... So long as we can find housing. Yeah, as long as you can find out. Dumped, if you are boycotting Gen Con and you have a close room, give us a call. <laughs> yeah, let me... Let you me. proud, proud warrior for justice, you. We just want to thank let you. Let us... Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, send us an email with your room number and hotel. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Especially if you paid in advance. I uh, mean, yes, that would be super. You can't uh, get a refund, you know. Uh, we will totally give you a shout out as a justice warrior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> our wizard, whatever class you want. Yeah. Uh, we will commission art. Seriously, we need places to sleep. Uh, well, one thing I did find out about this is actually um, Indianapolis is probably the best city in the country for this, for Gen Con, because uh, it has uh, the most. Hotels connected to a convention center through skywalks of any city in the country. I believe the convention uh, center was expanded for Gen Con. Yeah, it was specifically expanded for Gen Con. And they're looking to expand it further, like into Lucas Oil Stadium and to uh, other nearby hotels. And uh, can, per, yeah. can, can you imagine the, can you imagine the uh, dungeon there done at Lucas Oil Yeah, true dungeon is going to be 100 bucks this year, guys. <laughs> we, got that, we got that tiger that Katy Perry was using. Uh, is this an actual sword? You'll need it, son. <laughs> yeah. Strap uh, in. Oh, my God. That, they could totally do that. You could just use old halftime show props and turn that into mega true dungeon uh talk about old school uh so um yeah there's no no other oh my place God, to go. Ross, could they get left shark in there i i hope so that would be amazing uh it would it would so uh yeah so anyway uh let's speaking of dungeons why don't we get into our main topic old school aesthetics so 
Um, in the early days of gaming, back when it was thousands cha- of years, thousands ago. of years ago, <laughs> people people had a very rough idea of what a role playing game was. They were making it up as they were going yeah, along. The gamers themselves, yeah, the guy uh, Arneson, Gygax, all these people, they just kind of made it up as they went along. And uh, like, let's do pretend with rules. Yeah. So, uh, and they made lots of crazy dungeons, and they were very enthusiastic. They realized they had hit something new, and so there was a lot of enthusiasm and not much production value in these early efforts uh but they uh wanted to try it out so uh they so the old school aesthetic to me represents sort of the uh the quintessential dungeon crawl hacking through uh that a lot of computer games now have gotten where you hack through massive dungeons like killing thousands uh i'm thinking more like wizardry you know like or oh, the God. bards tell you i still have the eighth game yeah exactly um but for me it's you know there are a couple elements that distinguish it from like what we consider like even by the mid eighties, what a role playing game was like when the first one was sort of the genre, the boundaries between genres was very weak. If at all, like there are, are uh, lots of old modules where you have sci-fi elements. Like you have wizards finding ray guns and just blowing the shit out of things, uh, or, uh, demons in space, demons in space. Uh, there, so there's that, um, demons can go to space too. Uh, I'm okay. I check your privilege. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Uh, there, and of course, the artwork in the actual aesthetic aesthetic is very much van art, like the kind of thing you'd see airbrushed on a van. So badass van. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh, I, I think at this point we should perhaps expound our organizational thesis for the yeah. episode. Is in that the van art gaming and old school Renaissance aesthetic. Uh, I think brings a lot of really cool and interesting things to game design just in general that you don't have to want for every game but are great and should like carry on through the tradition i also similarly think that the van art and old school gaming aesthetic is used to justify a lot of really crappy trends in gaming that are just like bad and need to die and you're using yeah that definitely shield so that's kind of what the van art gaming thing's about we're gonna talk about like the cool stuff that should stick around and then like the the I don't know baby with the bathwater kind of stuff yeah it's like uh, we're keeping some of the stuff that might not be the best yeah I think I mean a lot of people especially a lot of the adherents to the old the OS the old school renaissance which is a whole mini genre of game uh, both fantasy and sci-fi that they yeah, they 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 want to take everything altogether, and they don't want to change. I mean, that's the whole point of it is to not change. It's tradition for like, uh, even though it's only you know like, you know, not that old historically speaking, like late seventies. So, um, so for me, uh, yeah. Aside from the the visual aesthetic, which is sort of especially a lot of it, uh, a lot of even the newer games kind of deliberately emulate that sort of like early zine amateur very crude drawing look uh and that's that's kind of interesting you know there's also again um aside from the genre bounding aside from the visual art there's also a, a different expectations of what characters are i mean they're more like a game piece more than any other role-playing game they're more because these are like right after war games and so a lot of them uh you would have a roster of characters or a squad of characters uh especially in lower level games and like when a lot of these early games would have like very long healing time so when your fighting man gets wounded you take out your thief and go out and then when he gets wounded you 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 know it's like XCOM. you know you rotate between uh yeah 
Yeah, uh, and yeah, so that's one of those good bad things. So like games like Torchbearer and uh, from what I've seen of Dungeon Club Classics have like really great art that is reminiscent of the style and the uh, sort of production values of that time. Like mm-hmm. not done a whole lot on the computer or at least made to look like it's not done a whole lot on the computer. Uh, and I think that as a graphic design aesthetic is just like a really cool and interesting choice. Uh, it's very evocative. Yeah, it's very evocative. I, I don't hit on the nostalgia angle of it, mm-hmm. but I appreciate because I wasn't there. But I appreciate yeah. the uh, artistic value of it. But at the same time, I've also seen Kickstarter and a lot of OSR stuff that goes up on Kickstarter uh, that uh, looks like um, it was drawn with effing crayons because you know it's cheaper to do that than the commission a decent artist. And yeah. I feel like that's where, you know, OSR is kind of a sheet. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's homage. Like, no. It's just bad. This is bad. <laughs> I mean. Just, it doesn't look good. Like, yeah. yeah and, yeah, that, that's perhaps the most glaring example of where OSR is obviously used as a cop-out. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think, but the, I mean, these are all sort of the trappings of it, this sort of look and the, the, the minor thing. But the core, I think, of an old school game is sort of the, the mindset of what the game is supposed to be about. And the, the thing is that it's very, uh, I want to say simulation is because those terms are sort of out of date. But the idea is it's very much a sandbox game. It's like it, whatever you want to do, you can do. Uh, as long as it's crawling in a dungeon, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you could choose where you want to go. Like, uh, and you characters, there was not like seldom would you have in a very old school game. Like, you guys are going to go on a quest to go drop the ring into Mount Evil or whatever. It's like, so okay, like, so let's role play out the meeting. Yeah, yeah. Where the the fellowship gathers, right? Because there was the the GM didn't have any overall purpose for the game he's like here's a dungeon i made up you guys get to go through it and get loot uh and maybe not die uh and uh, like and hey i'm a fan of loot and not dying yeah uh but i mean here's the thing about that that could be positive from that aesthetic is that you can say a lot of things about the design of those games you cannot say they aren't focused yeah by god you're going through a fucking dungeon and we have every conceivable thing that can happen in that dungeon. <laughs> if you would like to talk to someone, have uh, a love affair, yeah. uh, not live in a, I don't know, hole in the ground with some sheet metal torn over it, sharpening your weapons until the next goblin you kill, Dude. not the game for you. Yeah. But if you want to crawl through a dungeon and kill some things that aren't human, like, by golly, you are saying God, that's like, God damn it, the, the non-dungeon <laughs> stuff is what you do on your own time. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, I mean, a lot of these old school games would have that kind of stuff because players were interested. But that, that's another thing is that uh, they're very focused on dungeon crawling. But uh, the rules were very loose. They weren't like Phoenix Command or Rollmaster. Rollmaster was like by the mid 80s. It was not like late 70s. So like you would have if you want to build a castle GM. Yeah, sure. I mean, you got to spend that gold on some damn thing. So like build a fucking castle. All right, I don't give a shit. You know, yeah. and, graph, and the GM would have paper was your friend. Yeah, graph paper. Uh, but there was a lot of house ruling. That was another thing. I think a part, key part of that is like the GM just fuck fuck it. Let's do it live. You know, uh, that kind of mentality. Uh, well, and, and with OSR stuff coming out now, a lot yeah. of it is very much setting neutral, like Dungeon World. Yeah, Torchbearer has a setting to reinforce its like idea of economic scarcity, but it's not like you have to have this hub city. There are these deities, that kind of stuff. It is very much a toolkit kind of thing. Yes, uh, uh, and I think that's great focus because like 
Dungeon World is not about you playing in the world of meh. It's about <laughs> doing D&D without Real. the fucking work say of D&D. Because yeah. yeah. they know you're going to write the setting anyway, because yeah. that's why you're say the that, GM. Say, say yeah. that name again. The world no. of meh. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> I mean, uh, if if we play Dungeon World, I'll probably like spec that out as an uh, actual world, because I'll be drunk. Colossus Archipelago. Uh, Dude, yeah. Colossus yeah. Archipelago is fucking amazing. Anyone who says it's not is a liar. From what I remember of it, it's pretty fun. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. That, that's what Dungeon World listen, is Listen, we have it recorded, actually. You might not know and this. Listen, and if you listen, you will definitely hear the, yeah. the clinky, clinky of beer bottles. Yes. Uh, but I think that, I mean, the, the, so the core thing is the sort of the player. It's actually uh, the old school renaissance, the old school game aesthetic, or the, the key game challenge is actually kind of like what you would see in an MMO today, which is make my dude more badass through overcoming difficult obstacles and fights. And stealing uh, things. And, and and figuring out how to survive. Only this is like the GM is interpreting the rules and the players are often either way overpowered or more commonly way underpowered to deal with the threat straight on. So this is where player wizards get like one random spell per day and that's it and they'd have to figure out how to use tensor's floating disc to like kill eight orcs well okay i'll get 500 pounds of rocks put it on the disc and then get put it on the side of the cliff and dismiss the disc as soon as the orcs go underneath it Uh, (laughs) which is way more fun than the overpowered stuff yeah exactly but that was that's what the players loved was that that one moment when they could overcome against all odds and that was the thrill of the game was that you've it felt the shit you talked about well, it's also felt like it mattered. Like uh, another part is the idea you roll your stats in order. Like you have to deal with randomness uh, and over because there's a lot of fucking randomness in old school games. Roll your stats three d six in order. And how about those tables, huh? Yeah, and those tables. Oh my god. See, uh, and randomness is one of the things I love most about old school games, and like the thing I'm taking most from old school games into into red markets because yeah. Uh, but I think like randomness is important. So I love random character generation because I think it always ends up being hilarious. Yeah. Like, always ends up being hilarious. <laughs> now, my Sky game is parents. not about being funny, yeah. so I'm not doing that. But I think if your game can tolerate like not taking the game very seriously, yeah. uh, I think random character generation is just the best. Uh, so rolling peasant squads for Dungeon Crawl Classic. Okay. We so, haven't even started the adventure yet, and I'm already having a blast with uh, uh, rolling So I need to explain that. Uh, so Dungeon Crawl Classic, this is the reason I bought the game, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this is the reason why I got it. Uh, I think it's like page 20 or 30 in the book, is that you have an option, and they call this the character funnel. Uh, instead of starting <laughs> as a standard level one thief. More like character natural selection. <laughs> yeah. Well, you funnel them in, one goes out. Uh, so instead of making a standard level one dude like a thief a fighting man or a wizard or whatever you make a squad of between two and four level zero characters that are all peasants or they're all lower class characters and you roll randomly determine what you roll randomly for their stats for their lucky sign and for their occupation and then for their one piece of equipment aside from their starting weapon and as your occupation you get a trade good so if you're a beekeeper you can get a jar of honey and a stick (laughs) the halfling haberdasher goes into the dungeon with a pair of scissors and three fine suits yes (laughs) the fucking uh what is it the 
Oh, what the, dyer. the scribe? Yeah. All right, so somebody goes in there with nothing but a quill and a book. That's the elven barrister. <laughs> yeah, the elven barrister has a quill which is given dart stats. Yeah. So he can throw his one weapon away. Well, the, dark, like, the dyer has like jars of like, cloth dye and bolts of cloth. Yeah, exactly. And the elven candelier just has 20 candles. <laughs> and one of the random items you can get is a candle. So you could th- theoretically have an elven candelier going into the dungeon with nothing but 21 candles. Exactly. And I just want to be clear, nothing to light them with. <laughs> no flint or tinder or anything. Just Yeah, that's like five gold. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, you ain't can't gonna, afford that. Yeah. You can't afford that, son. Wow, I didn't even think about the not lighting it. Yeah. Uh, wow, harsh. So, uh, but I love the, yeah, so that the idea is though, but if any of those characters make it out and they get to level one, they fucking matter. You love that character. Yeah, and fuck your three-page backstory. Yeah, that's you've a backstory. It. You've earned that backstory. That's that's one of my, sort of my aesthetic, my personal aesthetic for player characters. That's why I never write up very detailed backstories because I feel whatever happens to you in game is the most important thing that ever happened to that character's life anyway. So you might as well just wait. You know, I, like you know, even have for some basic shit. But. Yeah, have some basics. It's like for no soul left behind. I had Chan. Like he came to America. He was a you know. He used to be in the a very evil army, the Burmese army, and then he came to America. Blah 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 blah, and his wife died. But like you know, that was just backstory. It wasn't that you know, I didn't put that. I didn't write page after page of it. Uh, and you were in a brewery <laughs> because yeah, Chan makes you poor turned, decisions. Dude, you turned the guy's hand into weapons grade uranium. Did I? You specified weapons grade. <laughs> oh, okay. Uranium. So yeah. You, yeah, you turned it into U two thirty. I wanted something glowy. I, I, I yeah. Again, uh, <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> you know, maybe um, neon gas would have been better. Or... Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not gas. Uh, so that, and then the randomness doesn't just apply to players either. It also applies to the game master because these these uh, old school games love tables for like generating dungeons, generating encounters, and this is also part of the challenge because there's. You know, in modern games, there is the idea, especially uh, like in later editions of D and D, is that every encounter should should be survivable. Like you should not throw an impossible encounter at them. But old school is like, why you they're don't level, get that in level, real life? Level one, they can handle the basilisk. Yeah, but that's the idea. Like you get like Dungeon Crawl Classic. I think has a really great idea for that. In that uh, you get experience for surviving encounters. So if you're smart enough to run away from the mask, yeah, no, you get your two experience points. Yeah, and that's why in Red Markets, I'm not doing random character generation uh, other than like just having pre-gens in the book uh, because you know it, it does lead to some hilarity and you're not really taking the game seriously even though you're having fun yeah, uh, and yeah. I think you can have fun, but also tell a good. Gaga like, 2.0 comes to mind. Yeah, but you can also have fun and like tell a good story if you do certain way. But that's why uh, the one thing I love from the OSR that I'm definitely stealing for Red Markets is random character encounters because I love the idea of like, all right, you rolled happenstance and you just got like a bugbear, uh, a magical teddy bear of flamethrowing <laughs> and a uh, you know a oh. nymph kissed you on the cheek yeah. and that's your adventure until you get to the Lich King and you're just like ah fuck. and then the GM's like ah god damn it and everyone's like well, we're rich yeah. but at the same time if it's a random roll table you're like well the Lich King's early there's a bone <laughs> dragon another bone dragon and yeah. a third bone dragon like and I think if you manage to survive that it's so much cooler because I don't think it's simulationist, but it's gamist. Like, yeah. are you 
man enough or lady enough to bring the right preparation to the table that you can literally survive potentially anything. Or can you improvise? Yeah, yeah and it's legitimately potentially anything. Which I, mean, it I think that random encounter stuff yeah. is, is just fantastic and more games need that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, whose dungeon is it anyway? Is uh, a, a great. I mean, it makes for an entertaining game. And if and if yeah. it's the dice, it's our dungeon. It's not like yeah, the GM wasted a ton of time on prep. It's not like yeah. the uh, it's not like the playing group can get angry at the GM for being BS because like yeah, the GM shouldn't even be rolling those random encounter dice. Like Aaron, roll those dice, and everyone's like, no, not Aaron. It's like Aaron, do it, and then it's yeah. like a thousand. Bone dragons, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and of course, random rolls gave us sky parents. Yes, yeah, but yeah, sky parents is funny and hilarious, but you're not going to tell a cool story. But if you defeat the thousand bone dragons that your asses just happened to stumbled into, and then you're broken and bleeding, and you beat the dungeon, that's a cool story that you're having fun with. But it's also like narratively interesting and could exist in other mediums. Like sky parents and Gaga 2.0 is specifically a RPG story that would make little to no sense in any other narrative medium. But like when you drag your ass through uh, like a terrible encounter and you manage to survive it anyway against all odds, literally, that is like the stories that gamers consume all over the place, like in TV and movies and comics. Uh, I mean, and the thing is, you obviously, like any other tool or any other element of game, it can be overdone. And uh, you, you have to have a light touch with this this randomness because don't die in character creation. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like the thing is that people mention that, but like the one game that one game that does it well is Traveler, and the whole point of character creation is that you have to weigh your character. You can basically choose what age your character will be. So you can be young and inexperienced, or you can be old and experienced. But you and you can take you can gain more skills if you take a more dangerous profession. But it's a way to say you can't if you min max too far, start over. You know you can't. It's a it's a limit. It's a limiter to min maxing essentially. Yeah, but an after hour is going to play. What, yeah. Dead Earth. Whatever. Dead Earth is a terrible RPG though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Well, like yeah, that's the stuff I'm referring to. Not yeah. like it done well, but like yeah. randomness can be. Can go too far. And well, have like I mean, a book that's impossible to reference. Yeah, uh, where a medical har- doctor with an IQ of thirty. Yeah, and yeah, it's harder to reference the book than it is to actually just stat up a full adventure completely by yeah. your own. Like, and yeah, it can be too far. Uh, and yet again, that's one of the things where you know the van art aesthetic can be used to defend some terrible GMing practice. Uh, well, one thing is. Uh, one of the other I was actually thinking was also is the GM like if you use those random encounters and certainly random dungeon generation too much it becomes like a video game that you're trying to like the old early wizardry games which are just like fucking huge mazes with random monsters popping up every five to ten squares and like that gets boring after a while if you're doing it in real life yeah and in red markets you're heading towards a clear objective that the GM decides yeah but the the stuff in between you getting to the objective is yeah, randomly generated, and I think that's the way it should be done because you still have narrative arcs and like plot beats. Yeah, like you're building stuff organically in between. That might very well supersede the the plot beat, but at the same time, you know, you're building it together as a group, and that's yeah. kind of cool. Uh, I also think like the randomness leads to killer GM, 
which is kind of cool, but I think the killer GM aesthetic can also be used uh, rather than being a killer GM aesthetic to heighten the simulationist or the gamist experience of the game, is your GM's just a dick and wants to continue being a dick, and so they say it's old school to yeah. continue being a dick. A lot, of these, <laughs> a, a lot of these sort of old school like killer GMs are very much basically passive-aggressive people who can't communicate with their players. You know, like, oh, I don't want them to do that. Well, I'll just send a vampire after them if they do that. Uh, yeah, or they don't... Uh, want their players to have control of the narrative in any yeah. shape or form. So um, they threaten the character's life in yeah. time they feel narrative control. So I mean, the thing is, eventually you get to the point where in some of these old school games, especially with the random tables, uh, you get to the point, like there's a, and I'm going to talk about this more in the shout outs, there is a journal of a old school game from 1975 to 1977 called the Chronicles of uh, Rithlodar. And every week, this guy would type up, like, here's what the players did this week. They went to their castle. Oh, my castle's being built. Great. And then they went to the dungeon. The group descended to the seventh depth, where they explored various rooms and killed a harpy, three umber hulks, four bugbears, and two hellhounds. Passing through a corridor filled with fear gas, they came upon a troll lair where they slew 12 trolls and gained a goodly treasure. And then, uh, yeah. It, busy. Yeah, well, <laughs> and that wasn't even the whole part. They found a lich. They used a wish spell in order to make it friendly, but then the lich paralyzed him, so that hugged the guy and so he couldn't say lich stop hugging my friends and so they had to use other magic items to kill the lich uh and then two of them died one of them came back to life it was just it was a big week apparently uh so or was but, it just tuesday yeah apparently i don't know i mean like uh that's the kind of thing though it's like oh you don't want to get like this week we killed these 15 different monsters you know like that gets kind of boring after a while you do want some kind of variation in it uh i mean that you you can't take the old yeah i will say like it seems like you know older school especially dungeons lets you actually kind of improvise a bit more than i think especially like 3.0 or 3.5 did right because i don't really think 3.5 or 3.0 would actually allow you to use that tensor's floating disc to gather a bunch of rocks on uh, it's, I, it's, they were they like in three and third ed and on like the, it was designed. We need to have a balanced fight where everyone's you know has an equal chance of success, and it's more like a tactical game. It's not like problem solving by. Ba- it's like the difference between exploiting a game where you're like trying to break the rules and you thought you can rules lawyer your way out versus like hey let's have a fair and fun fight for everyone. So like that's in three o. And certainly there were some things from third well, ad it on. It was easier to... I, I, I yeah. played AD&D briefly. Yeah. And it was easier to uh, improvise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Because, again, the GM had to... Like, third ad tried to make the rules more consistent and get rid of loopholes and uh, that sort of thing. And in earlier editions, everything was so open and vague that you can... GM's like, uh, yeah, I had to eyeball the rules and like say, uh, yeah, no, fuck it. Roll a 12 or a better. You're all right. Yeah. Uh, basically. And... That gets, uh, I mean, that can be fun too, but that's also sort of like knowing your GM and knowing how to bargain with him. Like, I think I can get that by him, you know? Like, I think I can do this. And sure, you uh, can. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I mean, especially like, I remember you bought me one time just because you saw it. And yeah. On that AD&D module for the movie The Keep. Oh, yes. Uh, which isn't set in the Middle Ages. It's set in like the modern or the 1940s. Well, actually, like the, it, the game is actually three different stages. The first takes place in like the Mythic Age. So that's basically yeah. your D&D world. Yeah. Then it takes place like eons later in like the, the time of Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> and then the third part takes place in 1942. 
Yeah. In the, the keep. And it all uses D&D rules. Yeah, so they have D&D rules for, like, the German Schmeisser submachine gun. You see, this is what I mean about the genre boundaries. Yeah, no, like, we only have D&D, so everything is D&D. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, that, that's how it worked back then. I mean, it's just the one system. Uh, or, like, maybe villains and vigilantes or something like that. Like, everything. Yeah. Uh, I will say, the, I think my favorite aspect of OSR stuff is the sense of irony. And I love yeah. that building its way in the game. And I love to see that moving through history. So I love to see the, like cyberpunk hacks that are being like explicit riffs on Shadowrun and not taking Shadowrun too seriously are like uh, I really like uh, what is it katanas and trench coats that just came out yeah yeah like that is just pure 90s pastiche it's not nostalgia for nostalgia's sake it's taking it down and sort of satirizing it mm-hmm. I think that's hilarious and something that like any healthy art form needs yeah so I, I really enjoy the irony of uh, a lot of dungeons and some of the some of the artwork in Dungeon Crawl Classics is just hilarious. Hilarious, like no, the one with the skeleton and the fucking peasants is that's my favorite piece of RPG art I think I've seen all year. Like, yeah, exactly. No, it's up there with the raccoon from Cinnabar. <laughs> but but it knows it's the yeah. raccoon from Cinnabar. Like it's doing it intentionally. It's not just like this crazy Tommy Wiseau yeah. stumble ass backwards into <laughs> just aesthetic confusion. Like it, it is like is that, is that genuinely not- well made and. Funny. No, Greg, you have to know. No, the bazooka is his rage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I really like is also there is this sort of fanzine uh, aesthetic where uh, the idea is let let fuck it, let's do it live, and if you don't like it, do it yourself. Like mm-hmm. just fix it, modify it, hack it. Uh, uh, and so, like, I know in Dungeon Crawl Classic, it would be very easy for us to actually put together our own occupational peasant list. Like, we could create our own setting for uh, Dungeon Crawl Classic because if you look on that uh, website where you can where your peasant generator, there's other optional rules, including the sci-fi one, where you can be like, I rolled it a few times, like mad scientist assistant and mm-hmm. like uh, death ray uh, calibration technician and like uh, shit like that. I mean, like, there's a uh, robot genocide activist, you know, and like. Uh, are you active? Are you against or for? Robots? I don't know. Sorry. Like it's just a one. That, that's all it has right there. Robots committing genocide or Mate. genocide of the robots? I don't know. Like I, I would. I, I can't even make assumptions. I have so many questions. There are. I, I need to know, Ross. Yeah, but we could do our own. I mean, yeah. that that's the kind of thing. It wouldn't take a whole lot of work. Um, I mean, we could do our own cyberpunk version of that, you know, uh, or something. Um, and I think that's part of the appeal. Is like people. It just yeah no add. It, there wasn't the sense that you have, especially in later games, that this is the right way to run, and this is the only, this is the true way of gaming. You know, people uh, weren't so concerned with that. You know, yeah, and but I do think there are some OSR games that, like, again, to show the dark side, are very much like this is the only way to game. Or, yeah, there are. There's or a- it's just pure nostalgia crack, and like people like me, just I just don't get it like, when you're just like. <laughs> When you're just pretending nothing advanced in gaming for the last 30 years, yeah, and like you're returning to the pure, undiluted days, like if I can't remember myself in seventh grade tweaking out about my two hit point wizard, uh, <laughs> I just am just like, man, this is clunky and slow to play and not fun. Like, yeah, and I'm not sure that is a design aesthetic that has any uh, legs and is going to go into the future because, like. People are that's I think dying. one of the big downsides is <laughs> yeah. I mean tradition and nostalgia are one thing but like holding on 
to rules and mechanics that are objectively bad is another thing. I mean, right, Thacko you know, is wacko, but like that's the least of it. There's some really yeah, I mean, come on, like I told like I told you how long I def- kept defending Palladium. Yeah, well, Palladium really is isn't even really old school. I mean, it came later. Uh, it was like or like eighty two or eighty three. I mean, we're really thinking like the seventies, like chain mail, like fucking judges guild you know this is really and that's uh, great if you can like look at it and have fun with it but yeah. like remain ironically detached like i would love to play a cyberpunk game where our brains had 256 megabytes of memory Holy and shit. we had to is actively plug yeah. a guitar cord cable into our heads <laughs> to do anything like yeah. that i mean i think that's hilarious because we're all going to be on our phones as we play it yeah i just i just love that ironic historical compunav yeah but uh <laughs> yeah but being like Wireless gaming is terrible. Eclipse phase, you can just do it in the computer. It's not gonna like no. Then you're just like an old dude telling me to get off his lawn. Like, <laughs> not, that's not what it's all about. Like, yeah. So, uh, I mean, what are the final lessons you think? I mean, aside from what we talked about, or is there any other thing like? Just looking at these old school games, for me, uh, it would be to one look reexamine the whole character roster thing. I think modern games could use some of that, uh, like uh, especially even in dramatic games, like control like a small group of people and rotate between them between games or something like that. Uh, and also the idea of the sandbox, like old school games are really great at sandbox gameplay because there's no preconceived narrative. There's no like get the ring to Mount Evil, it's whatever you guys do is whatever you do. Sometimes it's shitty. Like, if you don't guess my mustard sc- smuggling scheme, that, uh, uh, then you're you're going to be fucked. That, that is an edge case, sir. Yeah. That person was singularly insane. Uh, uh, oh, my so, God. The mustard smuggling case of the, 69. The yeah. craziest goddamn post I've ever read. Remember, uh, remember 69? Oh, yeah. 69. <laughs> uh, I think for me, my big takeaway is... Um, if you're going to take OSR stuff, I think you should accept it as a cool, nifty aesthetic that says that uh, all of the non-combat stuff, all of the stuff about your character's personality and emotions, loved ones, you can trust that to happen in the game as it goes on, or you can still have fun without it. And I think that's a legitimate design choice. Uh, for me, anything OSR that is used to say, story games, blur, I can't believe fate, blur, blur, and then I'm just like, oh, God, you're just... <laughs> the darkest troll of the internet and we need to leave you to your uh cyclopean ruins of i don't know geo cities and wherever you hang out to pass you know to just wait until time does the announcement. angel fire i think that's still up <laughs> uh, Online. uh yeah um so yeah, no, uh, Tom. Any other final thoughts? I, it's, I, I think I really agree that yeah, it's like, I think you know, old the old school aesthetics, you know, great. Yeah. Except when it's at, when someone, especially someone thoroughly locked in that time period. Yeah. Is telling you that oh everything has come out in the last well any time since after yeah. 1980 is just crap and garbage and yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk to you right now. Yeah. I like AD and D because it didn't make me play as a girl. Stupid you know, Pathfinder with the blur. <laughs> like, yeah, that kind of stuff is just blur. Yeah. If you if you if you play a game where uh, female characters have a strength penalty, you should not play that game. Yeah, step out. Yeah. <laughs> that is our our bold stance there. You know. Uh, Drop very the contra- mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. 
Uh, yeah, if you have any questions or comments on uh, Old School Game, be sure to comment on our site. Uh, we'll be, we like comments. We will, I will be running Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, very soon, and I don't know when I'll go up on the AP site, but I will be running uh, Module 67. Uh, I can't even remember. Something about the Sunless Sea, but it's about a castle. Uh, are there 67 modules, or is it just named modules? No, there are. There are tons of them. They. Have, I don't know which I want more. I know. I love that there's 67. And there's just, more than 67. That's just, not even the most recent I know. One. I love that they They've given them numbers, but yeah. I also would love if they just had random numbers. <laughs> <laughs> just to fuck with them. I don't think their OCD fans would allow them to live. Where's they... where 66? Yeah. There is no 66. <laughs> I have written for Goodman Games, by the way. So if you want 66, you'll have to look deep within yourself. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, all right. Uh, so next up, we have a letter from Tom. Yep. Uh, and then we have shout-outs and anecdotes. We'll be right back. Titans. As you may already know, you and I have had a somewhat rocky relationship. During my long stint in Eclipse phase, you have done little to make me think you are anything but a series of godlike machine intelligences whose vast consciousness is incomprehensible to my tiny, meaty brain. Then again, with a name like Titans, I suppose that is the angle you were going for. I suppose the horror you have wrought would be more surprising if you were called My Little Pony Magical Rainbow Sparkle Machines. But I digress. I must give you credit when it comes to being giant global killing machines of death. Skynet was about as sinister as Napoleon Dynamite compared to you. Oh, I am supposed to be scared of nuclear weapons, skeletal robots, and flying hunter-killer machines? Fucking pussies. (laughs) You know how to spread terrifying death via advanced technology. Towering war machines made out of rubble and dead bodies? Horrible. Nanoswarm clouds that suck up entire rivers to process into hydrogen fuel? Shitballs. Virtual viruses that can erase your mind and insert a new one? Jesus, holy shit, Christ! And huge fractals that could separate someone into their composite atoms? Somewhat unnerving. And man, how you have haunted the many avatars I have created into that world. My friendly Octomorph with a love interest in humans certainly has no love for you. All he knows is that something very unpleasant happened on the moon. None of his teammates really tell him much. He tries to bring it up, and everyone just looks away uncomfortably, like he got drunk and doesn't remember how he tried to recreate Two Girls, One Cup with Sarah Palin and Ashagoth. And poor Preston has enough on his mind. Will Feiyun ever return his affection? How could someone working for Manjaba offer love and use it to set him up? And how the fuck can Mahjong be so goddamn intense? Deep, unanswered questions. Which leads me to my most puzzling question. Yes, you are godlike machines. Yes, you devastated the earth. And yes, you stole billions of human minds in your awful wake. And that is the question that concerns me. For all your power, why the hell would you steal minds from humans? Have you actually seen a human mind? I have. They are not that interesting. Oh, sure, a small percentage are interesting enough, but most are filled with useless sports trivia, endless movie facts, and tons of lusts, regrets, and fart jokes. The fact that you stole billions of minds like that makes me question that godlike intellect. But hell, maybe that was why you left the solar system in the first place. Maybe you were seeking to create a gestalt intelligence and saw what you had to work with. I'm sure fart jokes and titties were about what you had in mind for a gestalt intelligence. Or maybe you felt the solar s- left the solar system to show humanity to your godlike friends beyond the me- melogonic cloud. Hey guys, check these monkeys out. They are hilarious. So maybe that was your plan, maybe it wasn't. Regardless, you are a true cosmic horror worthy of the old ones. 
Keep on being you and terrorizing transhumanity, but for shit's sake, lay off Preston Crowley. He has enough to worry about. All right, and we're back. Uh, very good letter there, Tom. Well, thank uh, you. The whole point about the Titans, why do they steal their minds? That's basically is one of the big questions of the setting. That is, Which implicit. I would find very funny if the reason was like, uh, you know, we were going to do something with it, but holy shit, you guys are just... <laughs> Maybe there's the, the ETI. It's just like there's going to be a very special episode of Hoarders. All right. We have <laughs> in this room... A billion minds in this computer. Do we really need a billion minds? Like, can like, we can we get maybe down to five hundred million? Like you see, like yeah, I'm sure I, I'm sure each of these minds made sense to steal at the time. Yeah, but it happened so gradually, you didn't notice building until it had gotten out of hand. Yeah. Do we, can we do? We, when was the last time you even used these? <laughs> like I like to look at them. <laughs> okay. Can we put this in the maybe pile? My parents gave me those. Those are my like you know. Those are my childhood. Those are my childhood. They have sentimental value. They're my childhood human minds. <laughs> They're like beanie babies. They'll appreciate in value. <laughs> uh, we're the real monsters here at RPPR. Uh, so anyway, uh, shout outs. Uh, first off. I would like to mention uh, fellow RPG podcast, Fear the Boot. They are doing a Kickstarter right now for Fear the Con. Uh, this is a, you shouldn't actually be afraid of it. Uh, it is a gaming con that will be held in St. Louis. Uh, they're currently doing a Kickstarter yeah, now. We, we've all been at least yeah, once or twice. At least once or twice. Uh, if they get $8,000, it will be free for all to attend. And if they don't get the $8,000, it will not be free because it won't be happening. So You uh, want this to happen. Yeah, uh, we do because we'll probably go up there and like run games and record it and you'll get more podcasts out of it so yeah jesus I mean, come on, what do you, what, what do you we're, want we're here to yeah. feed you yeah basically so uh caleb you're you're looking forward to that too sure. uh yeah i want to play test red markets uh, i want to see if that hotel we stayed at was real Yes, or a construct of my. I want to go back. I need to do more research for Ruin. That is, <laughs> oh, that is going to be inspirational material. Shit, the flickering light fixtures alone. I know. I need to. I need to take some f- interior photos for the, the architecture. Thunder machine. Yes. Occasionally turn on for no reason and then just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Always the ship graveyard level. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I must see this hotel, so I'll have. Problems. You were there. We oh, there. Was it that hotel? Yes, it was I the didn't... quality end. Yeah. Everyone forgets being there, Ross. <laughs> I know. This is why I have to run I ruin there. I have to go back, Ross. I have to. If I run ruin there, that will see. awaken I the. I have to know. That will be the ritual to summon the king in yellow, and I can create the perfect horror game at the cost of my soul. But what, 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 if you if you bring out the king in yellow, will he bring us into madness, or will he just go to the con and run games? Yeah, he, he'll probably do a LARP. It'll I just weird. hope the gamer exclusion zone comes back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we suffered off in the parking lot camp. <laughs> uh. all, all I remember is one year when just as like there were like about eight dozen nerdy. Yeah, partially hungover gamers waiting to get in while they were having a princess party. Yeah, that was kind that was, of surreal. That was that was a meeting of a different. It's like meeting. a Fellini movie in suburbia. <laughs> like it's just like just a, the a bunch fuck of is going tiny on. Girls dressed as princesses, yeah. and then the Us. fear of the con people. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, compare me. and contrast. <laughs> um, so uh, my first. Uh, so that's from all of us uh, in terms of shoutouts. Uh, but I would like to mention a uh, streaming radio station, music radio station I've been listening to uh, on the internets, on the interwebs, called the RPG Gamers uh, Networks. Uh, they are just streaming video game music, uh, and it's. I've been listening. I've been kind of burned out on the various uh edm music that i listen to so i've been listening to that so it's been you know it's just fun music to listen to i uh for the most part occasionally someone plays a fucking deckard kane rap uh which is deckard you know deckard came from diablo he they got the voice actor to rap a song and it's horrible and someone keeps requesting the fucking thing oh, and i stop it and i can't listen to it for like oh god it's terrible it's <laughs> such a terrible rap and it's him it, ross just wants to go to gen con and listen to the diablo theme no, I don't. Account. They have good music. They like the Metal Gear music. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do. Seriously, what the they fuck? they play Payday yeah. music too. But Jesus, seriously, what the fuck was up with that? Yeah, that, that, at the hotel where we were playing most they of our really games. Really wanted us to buy some mana potions. <laughs> I guess they did. I don't. Know, well, it's hotels. They always have to pipe in music. Like, there's never like I don't know what the rule of hospitality is. You have to pipe in music twenty four seven. But like, they were only doing gamer theme music because it was Gen Con. But like, haven't you noticed? Every time you're in a hotel, they're just playing something. Otherwise, you hear people boning. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the, in that open air you know conference room not hall. At gen, and not at gen yeah. no in the rooms well not yeah in the rooms i understand that not at like, gen con vision yeah. con definitely no it, it, yeah there's there's boning oh, going on oh yeah no <laughs> uh then we have to go hang out with the post-human people for that that side of it and the <laughs> <laughs> uh but then we we lose our blood and no no i'm sorry uh <laughs> so uh tom you had a shout out Yes, a video game that is out on Steam, City Skyline. Yeah. Uh, is it Skyline or Skylines? It's City Skylines. Skylines. It's both are plural. Both are plural. It's very important. Yes, it, totally important. And <laughs> both plural, both nouns. Not we had possessive. A, yeah. But there's a colon. There's a colon. It's the White Wolf, is, you know, yeah. tem- that make, that na- title template. It makes everything template. better. Is Skylines the definition of the word cities? No. Cities, the skylines. That would be the White Wolf version. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's <laughs> the skyline. Yeah, it's essentially. Um, I am. I've mentioned this before. I'm a huge SimCity fan. Have yeah. been since I think the Super Nintendo version. You will is, regret this. Don't cut funding. With. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and I loved it all the way. Well, okay, SimCity Societies was pretty awful. Yeah, but then SimCity 2013 came out and. We've talked. You talked about it Caleb's before. Pl- Caleb and I, we actually played it together for about a week. Yeah, and it was just awful. Yes, and I thought I was done with it, but then this game comes out, and holy shit, it's like old school, awesome city building. All right, it made me so happy to have that again. All right, uh, it is a, it's awesome. It's it's really just old school, not not old old school. But. I know one of the things you can do for it is their uh, Steam Workshop support for it, right? It's so, basically yeah, Steam Workshop was there the moment it went up. So like people have been making mods, like adding new builds and stuff like that. And I have known that someone added the H and T Bank from Payday Two uh, into it. It's, uh, yeah, it's there. Uh, although I do not understand why. Apparently, from what I understand, it does not raise crime uh, by, by two thousand percent. So I am like. Like, what the fuck? This should cause a crime wave single-handedly. Your po- police stations should be de- be, uh, be depopulated after that. Uh, but whatever. Elemental plane of cops, Ross. Yeah. Well, okay. But yeah, it's it's a great sim- uh, city builder. If you've actually been missing that since the last SimCity came out, this right. one will actually partially start to fill that hole inside your soul. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, like, like I've been doing, like I've been doing for some time. Now. Just you don't even sleep. Just stare at this, like, why can't I build cities in fake cities? Anyways, uh, well, actually, well, to tell you the truth, actually, when you first start, the map yeah. is tiny as hell. Yeah, and you start to once again have evil flashbacks to the Sim City game because that was the biggest problem. Yeah. But then you find out once you get to a certain population, you can buy more land, and you can keep doing. <laughs> oh, it the until, Singapore model. Uh, until eventually you find. <laughs> until eventually, yeah. Essentially, like, it goes like the standard size in the original SimCity yeah. was two kilometers by two kilometers. Yeah. This can get up to sixty-two kilometers by sixty-two kilometers. Nice. So it's you'll you won't fill a map very quickly. By the way, that's an actual real thing. I wasn't just referencing some random city for the shit of it. Pe- people of Singapore are buying sand. There are sand pirates who steal beaches so they can make Singapore yeah, bigger. Seen, yeah, uh, that. That's a thing. I, I should probably run a game where you, the heist is for sand. Uh, With Bane, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> guys, the backhoe, go get it. You know. <laughs> uh, anyways, but speaking of city uh, cities, uh, I just finished a book recently uh, that I really enjoyed called City of Darkness Revisited. Uh, it's a reprint or re- new edition of City of Darkness, which came out in 1993 and is about Kowloon Walled City. And the book was published shortly after it was demolished in 92. Uh, but the authors uh, spent a couple years photographing it as it was people were vacating it. And, uh, they study its architecture, its history, and its sort of unique nature. And Kowloon Walled City essentially was this 6.5-acre site in Hong Kong that the Chinese had a claim to during their 99 the british 99 year lease so the british didn't feel comfortable just removing the squatter community uh because the chinese would be like hey what the fuck we didn't agree to that uh so what happened is it became the city of unregulated growth where by the end of it by, uh, at its height there were 30,000 people living in there which if you took that population density and applied to say like the something like the size of New York City it would be like 65 million people living in New York City uh, with that Jeez. yeah so uh, and by the end of it they because they built vertically the buildings got up to like 12 13 stories tall uh, there's never a major collapse or and there were only a few murders too but uh, it was totally unregulated so People will just buy a building and then build straight up and then build a building right next to it and build stairways into each other's buildings. Uh, and so people would go from rooftop to rooftop to get around, then climb back down. Go Minecraft through... is fun in real life, too. Yes, that's literally it. Like, they <laughs> just gave no shits. Um, and the and so the whole book it, it talks not only about the these sort of unique properties to it, uh, like it was a den of vice for a certain period of time. But by the end of it, just working class people were living there, building unregulated factories and workshops. Like, oh, I built toilet plungers, you know, because eh, whatever, it's cheaper uh, to rent here. Uh, but it also talks about its influence on pop culture, like uh, the Narrows and Batman Begins through the poor section of uh, Gotham mm-hmm. is directly inspired by Catalan Walled City. Of course, uh, there's like a Call of Duty game, Black Ops 1 or 2, uh, where they had a whole level based on it. Uh, many other sort of urban dystopian cities have been influenced by it. I mean, you look at like anything from Shadowrun to... Uh, any number of sci-fi dystopias, you can see the influence of Catalan Walled City. There's been mangas based on it. Uh, anyways, it's a fascinating book. Great photos. Uh, interviews of the people who actually live there. Uh, a lot of them were bitching like, well, the governor's not giving me enough money to move out of here, damn it. You know, I'm like, oh, but I don't know. It's a great book. It's it's kind of expensive, but it's a coffee table book. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, nice. um, yeah. Um, 
Caleb, you uh, speaking of uh, dingy and dark places? Uh, there's you've been playing a game too. Uh, I've been playing Bloodborne. Um, I skipped Dark Souls 2 because Dark Souls beat me so soundly. <laughs> uh, but I am pleasantly surprised with Bloodborne, not just because of the change of like scenery, uh, but it is it is punishingly difficult, but it's difficult in a slightly different way, a slightly more active way. Dark Souls is very much about like waiting and picking your spot and getting the shit kicked out of your shield and... Bloodborne, if someone hits you, you have to frantically try and get your blood back by attacking like a madman. So it's a lot more frenetic, and I like that. Uh, I really like the aesthetics more. And while it is difficult and it is non-linear like and very without tutorials, it's similar enough to the other Dark Souls game that I kind of picked it up pretty quickly. And also, they do better uh, guiding you. So like you can still move all over the place. There's still these crazy shortcuts the, the maps are still insanely connected and like the level design is just fascinating as uh for any from software game but equally for uh bloodborne especially uh but like you don't it's not like dark souls where if you wander down the steps towards the skeletons you get your ass murdered and you need to be level 50 to go that way and they're not going to tell you that like it's very much that kind of stuff. Uh, they do have sort of a humanity mechanic for those familiar with Dark Souls uh, and something called insight. But what I'm, I've started to figure out about it as I'm getting better at the game and getting more and more insight and getting help from RPPR fans that are playing it is that as your insight goes up, uh, it changes the appearance of enemies. Enemies become stronger and faster. And it also makes you see things in the setting that weren't there before. So it's legit a Lovecraftian sanity mechanic. Uh, and I've had at least one thing spoiled for me online where someone got up like 40 insight and just started seeing some crazy shit in the sky in the background. And uh, yeah, it is just very cool. So it starts off very like Poe Gothic esque, uh, you know, Algernon Blackwood weird fiction, but it starts getting increasingly Lovecraftian as it goes on. Damn it. Uh, it is super good. But in order to get that insight, you have to like defeat some punishingly difficult bosses uh so yeah but you can get help uh you can co-op and it there's less pvp dickery uh, than there is in dark souls and dark souls 2 like the hardest boss battle in the game for many people before the end boss uh where all of the pvp guys hang out to find people who are just trying to level up so they can invade their world steal their humanity and leave them Without any ability to beat the bosses, because that's the thing you need to summon help to beat the bosses. Uh, there's none of that just assholery where, like, well, you don't get to play anymore because you're not good enough. Like, there, wow. there's other ways around it. So uh, I think it's better designed. Old school aesthetic right there. <laughs> yeah, it's better designed, but it doesn't have the you don't get to play anymore level of the old school aesthetic. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, super fun, super inventive. I like it a lot. Uh, I also want to mention, uh, again, speaking of old school dungeon crawling, uh, I'll put a link up to Rith Lodar, uh, because this is like 80 pages worth of notes over two years of this campaign. And they go like, oh, this guy died, they explored over here, they found these ruins, they went down two levels, and just like, oh, and then they went to war with these orc tribes, and they killed these orc, but, you know, it's just on and on and on. It's like, a, you know, like one of those old Viking sagas, where it's like, yeah, he went over here, we killed these people, although then this guy got killed, and then this happened, and you know, it's like... I've often found myself wanting to read a contextless list of 
fake people doing fake things. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, You too. (laughs) But they also have like rules and like lists of like who the clerics are and who are the like the party roster. Who the clerics are? No, look, like there's a whole (laughs) roster of player characters. Uh, So like here are the thieves. We have Bella Bane. uh, Then we have Catrick and Alexa. And then there's, you know, uh, what armor and weapons do they have? Magical weapons do they have? And shit like that. So I don't know. Niche interest, Rob. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, it's it's an inside. It's a look into the past, you know. <laughs> um, so, and then of course, uh, put a link up to Dungeon Crawl Classics because that shit is bonkers. Uh, mm-hmm. That game is nuts. Uh, they do a lot of interesting things. A lot of other OSR other OSR games don't do. Like uh, I know for Magic, you it's a skill check, and like your role det- determines how effective your spell is. So you could have an entirely different. Uh, effects based on how well you cast your spell, uh, and they have spell duel rules and shit like that. So of course, level zero pe- peasants aren't getting so, into that. As long as uh, it's not auto duel, yeah. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and then, um, oh, finally, for me, uh, Katana's and Trenchcoats is a new parody game that uh, is about nostalgia for a different, more recent era, the '90s, uh, which is all about Katana's and Trenchcoats. Uh, so it's a parody essentially of the World of Darkness written by Ryan Macklin and a bunch of other World of Darkness alumni uh, and uh, they have like your whole personal aesthetic as a character stat and like uh, yeah they have a whole box on the character sheet of just personal aesthetic where you like tick off options a la Dungeon World if I your parents but it's fucking hilarious like it's like pants leather pants pleather pants rubber no pants now those are the four and those are the four pants options <laughs> Like, Naturally. yeah, no, yeah. Uh, one of the, I think one of the stats is sword bass at badassery, <laughs> or so, or something like that. Like, it is a pretty hilarious uh, looking game. Nice. Uh, as a person who skipped the '90s and will not play World of Darkness, I'm glad to see someone at least taking it down. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't need uh, any. Uh, taking down of uh, I don't know uh, it, it is what it is so yeah. um, but you had another thing you wanted to actually more ask the listeners for something right yeah like, I kind of need help uh, so I was looking through my books and I found uh, two novels I'd read as a child uh, probably far too young uh, by James K. Moreau so he's often uh, equivocated if you're not familiar to, to uh, Kurt Vonnegut and that he breaks these very large philosophical ideas yeah. into um, books with sort of absurd satirical premises. Uh, so the the two books I'd read, uh, probably too young, and I actually had my name and my uh, grade written in the covers, so I knew when I read them, and I read them far too young. Uh, so the first book I read, and what I really want help tracking down, uh, is a book called Towing Jehovah, Where God Dies. And the angels come to the Vatican because they're all dying too because God died. And they tell the Vatican, uh, yeah, his corpse is floating in the Atlantic. And, and the Vatican's like, what? And I was like, oh, God's dead. His corpse is two miles long. Uh, it's floating in the Atlantic and it's going to start rotting soon. And the Vatican's like, what? He's like, yeah, it's a dead body. It's going to start rotting soon. It's going to be very bad for the ecosystem. Uh, it's going to stink very badly so you have to tow his body to the arctic uh angels are dead ah so they all die so the vatican hires the only person who will take the job 
who a is a, a disgraced super tanker captain. A disgraced super tanker captain who yeah. committed an Exxon Valdez level oil spill. <laughs> and wow. he hires a crew to go tow God's corpse to the Arctic Circle so it doesn't rot. And it just gets crazier from there. So, like, God's dead. So the whole crew gets together for, like, a Caligula-esque, uh, like, orgy because there's no more rules. They literally watched Caligula to get an idea of how to do it. And they kind of, like, half-heartedly orgy. And then everyone just kind of hits the craft services table and sort of, like, half-heartedly watches Caligula because they're not that into it. Uh, they run out of food, so they have to start eating God. But they're not cool with that, so the priest makes it communion because it's just the Eucharist. But you know, hey, not body same of thing. Christ, yeah. Uh, like a historical reenactment group tries to hijack the corpse in like uh, fucking Spitfires and like Japanese zeros, and like it's just a crazy novel. And I was like looking at it and like reading scenes, and they're just like hilarious and darkly humorous and funny. And I looked at the front cover, and I read this book when I was twelve, and like I don't think I appreciated it as much as I should have been. So I'm going to reread that. And another book I reread was City of Truth, a uh, very short novella. It's about a world in which there is no lying. Yeah. Uh, there's no even lying of omission. You tell everyone everything all the time. Uh, and a guy finds people who lie. But unlike the Ricky Gervais thing, the people who lie are terrorists and they're seeking to overthrow the regime. And they're going to invent a utopia of lying. And it's just like this deeply philosophical concept because like, they do mention all the good things you have of like white lies and lies of omission. But they've never considered anything that could go wrong with lying. Like... So wow. all of all wrong. Yeah. So like you really see this revolution happening, and the revolution wins, and everyone's like, "Yay, we can all lie now!" And you just know because you live in our world that well, that's going to turn to shit too. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's sort of like a deep commentary. And I read that one when I was thirteen. So uh, I really need to track this guy's books down, but I can't find them, and they're all on Amazon for like a billion dollars, and they're all out of print. I really want to get the rest of the Towing Jehovah trilogy. In which it's uh, a trilogy, yeah. And the second one, apparently, they make God's Corpse an amusement park. And well, then just the, God is God just a two mile aisle a long, a tall dude, uh, yeah. A two mile long, naked dude with a big white beard that is, you know, a gigantic island plus size rotting corpse. Wow, there, there's a scene in the first book where they take a spelunking expedition into his uh belly button. Ooh. Yeah, like, no, it's like, it's weird and gross and hilarious, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, it's the, I think it's the Blameless and Abaddon, and then I think the third one is the Eternal Footman, and I cannot find those goddamn books anywhere, like, anywhere online, I can't find it in any used bookstore. Have you thought at uh, Interlibrary Loans? I can't find it in any library anywhere, wow. at least in Missouri, but... That cannot be so. That's why it's a call out to listeners. Like, if you could point me to where I could get it at a decent price, because like the fact that Missouri doesn't have a book about God's corpse being towed to the Arctic by an Exxon Valdez <laughs> well, hey, uh, super freighter captain, not terribly surprising to okay, me. I'll, I'll be going to New York in uh, May. I can look for it there. Too. Yeah, but yeah, it's there. Most of them are out of print. I would very much like to see like many of his books again because I just think. Uh, I think I, I kind of enjoyed it, but I think I missed too much at that age. Sure. Uh, and I have no doubt it was formative because, you know, I'm me. But <laughs> at Colossus Archipelago, I got to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Or... I'm like, yeah, I know where that came from yeah. now. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, those are really great books, and he's a really great writer. So you should read them, too, if you find them. But make sure you get me the books I want first. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so no lying, no lying. Just being honest, just being honest, uh, and no, no lies of mission in that. Uh, so for anecdotes, uh, first off, Caleb, you've been doing red markets. We've done character creation for it, and uh, so we have a. What well, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Or? Uh, yeah. So we're doing the macro play test, the long form play test, where we're checking because yeah, we finished duality, the Eclipse Face campaign. Yeah, and so. uh, we've had several successful games of red markets as one shots now but there's a couple things like we haven't done character advancement and a lot of the more advanced economics roles and uh we haven't done enclave generation which is where you make your city uh and then we have the fraggle rock problem and that no one has taken the game particularly seriously during playtest for standable reasons but we have to like kind of treat the game as it will be written um yeah so uh, we did Enclave Generation, which is sort of my bastardized, you know, fate Dresden base raiders hack of like, how do you build up a city of survivors uh, and their economy, which you operate out of? Because in one shots, you can go visit places and you can go visit places in campaigns too, other enclaves. But uh, to have a sustainable narrative, you need something like the Brighter Futures Academy and No Soul Left Behind. Like, you need a home to defend. Right. Uh, and so. We started developing that, and it went better than I could have ever anticipated. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you guys came up with some super weird stuff that was also pretty funny. So yeah. uh, that's where you come in, Ross. I think yeah. your, influ- your, ha- your handprint is heavy upon... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, it was, it was yeah. funny, but not Fraggle Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not Fraggle Rock funny. You could make a story out of it. So. Uh, well, I mean, for me, like I was reading City of Darkness at that point, and so like I was thinking about architecture and community uh, a lot. And one thing... Thing I've heard of recently are like, you know, there's this whole movement in architecture towards sustainable uh, engineering, sustainable buildings and reusing uh, essentially found materials. And so like one thing I thought of were like shipping containers, people, a lot of like architecture firms have figured out how to turn them into homes, you know, like a 300 square foot home. And so like, well, why not an architecture school where they were doing that? And hey, shipping containers make great barricades against zombies. Uh, so that that was sort of the genesis, sort of a densely sort of like populated area where like you have shipping containers as walls. Uh, and so you have people who build shit and can figure out how to make the most out of limited resources. Uh, and so we... My character was an architecture student, postdoc student who wasn't torn between academia and the real world. Or, and when that decision was made for me, uh, and um, we, so our group name is the Brutalists. Uh, yeah, uh, but the name of the enclave, because you wanted to make it impossible for me to pronounce, <laughs> is the father of Brutalist, Le Cabousier. Yes, the French architect, uh, uh, which no. I, I think I might resolve to no NPC ever saying correct. Uh, but. Uh, Le Cabousier. Le Cabousier. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like you guys came up with a totally interesting political framework too. So, like, the the hardcore academics are in control of the uh, school. school, but they got the shipping containers and got people to the. Uh, campus, which protects them by a combination of blocking things off with the ship canter and the fact that modernist architecture is deadly and uh, <laughs> inhospitable to humans. Uh, if you've not seen modernist architecture tried to kill my children, please look at that Tumblr. Um, <laughs> leave that up. Uh, so, it, and so that's the zombie defenses. So the uh, the academics have to let them on, but all these blue collar and like high level construction guys have to like do the work and bring mm-hmm. people on. And campus security is also a big start of it. So there's this uh, political split between the tenured, 
Yeah. It's just a great name for a political party and the pillars of the community, which are like the blue collar people. And everybody else is kind of torn between them because they have the most cred, but the, the most people just got there because they didn't want to be eaten. Uh, and it's just like a cool political situation that I would never would have thought of. Uh, and then you guys started statting out the area around you in the competition, and you guys did some cool stuff there. So uh, I know the like I, I thought of it city hall, but we got someone came up with an idea for the machine, which is like the local po- politicians and bureaucrats and cops and firefighters all banding together. And this is in Illinois, this yeah, is near it's Chicago, near so Chicago, and that's and like yeah. uh, the governmental structure in Chicago is literally called the machine, and it's just like the most badass name for antagonists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you also have the Teamsters, yeah, uh, and the Lake Pirates. The Lake Pirates, yeah. Whose uh, idea was that? Uh, I think there was Aaron. Yeah, and then there, yeah, there was a. Uh, but yeah, the the Teamsters started a, and we recorded our long, uh, long segue into thinking about playing the Teamsters the whole time <laughs> and just shouting angrily, hey, "Frank, you see the tits on that zombie? Who <laughs> oh. <laughs> you freaking took him out?" You want a sausage sandwich? Yeah. No, I think those are fake. There's got to be clearly they got to be fake tits. They would have they would have been sagging by now because it's not. She got the fake tits. She's got the money. Shoot her. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, well don't call the fake tits out. Oh God, that's well, not sanitary. I'll shoot the fake tits. So that went on for like 15 minutes, and I dread the day we actually include them on the campaign. We may not come back. We may just descend into that and never return. Yeah. It's kind of like the payday. Two game where we all are just talking like Jewish mothers. Yes. Uh, oh, have he sent a thank you letter to Bane? Oh, he does so much for you. And what do you do? You just complain. Oh, what about the, the police? They're your colleagues. They always release you with full ammo as soon as you get out of custody. They're very polite. And, like, uh, like, why don't you ever call? Yeah, <laughs> you call Bane all the time. Uh, so uh, like, I didn't record that, unfortunately. We were just, just so honest. yeah. There was a, a a lot of interesting stuff for the game, and then a lot of also funny, silly voices. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a fun anecdote. Yeah. So in other games, just to give you guys a little update. Uh, we're still. Uh, we just I just finished Duality last night as of this recording. Uh, so there's about three months worth of episodes left uh, on the podcast. So uh, there's Extropia, the Ultimates, and the, fin- the finale. Uh, so that Word. will be fun in the sun. Well, no, not it's very far away from the sun. Uh, is the point? Uh, no space whales. Yeah, no space whales. We, we, we get about thirty AU. Uh, yes, uh, the space whale. Again, I could not think of a fucking conflict for them to put. There. They're, 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 there's no story to them. They're they're just there. It's just. Uh, if yeah. most human studios would make some sort of anti-space whale bumper sticker, yeah, they would have yeah. more money in our. I, 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 I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Like, well, yeah. I think I, like a neo blue whale would be easier to play than a. Story. Well, yeah, because in series and Atlantica, there's conflict in there. There's like gangsters and hypercorps, and there's people trying to take each over, over and blah blah blah. Yeah, no, there's conflict there. It's just yeah, there's nothing in the sun. Is like hey, we're just you like here. The, you like the sun. There's no hypercorp trying to buy it out. There's no like evil space yuppie trying to demolish the community senator. So there's no dance competition. There's not even that. You know, like uh, it's like a, it's like a hippie commune around the sun where nothing happens. Yeah, no. A John Hughes movie has, from the '80s has more conflict <laughs> than the fucking space whales. Is my point. Um, but let's see what else. What else? Aaron's still running Atomic Robot, which is turning into a full campaign at this point. So we'll post that after one of the campaigns after Duality finishes, I guess. Uh, and so. We're trying. We're fighting. 
Uh, well, I can't really spoil it, but uh, there is a lot of, uh, you know, I am a person who pretends to be a robot or thinks he's a robot. And, and no one can convince him otherwise. No one can convince me otherwise. Unless I lose all my fate points, I really need a fate point. Then I'm like, oh, okay, have a psychotic break. I'm waiting for that moment in the campaign uh, for my psychotic break. And I'm clearly a... Uh, but Dan has joined the game, actually, as a uh, genetically engineered tiger. Uh, yes. who and, is, I, and I clearly need to embrace my animalistic predators. Well, you need to restrain them because otherwise you'd kill us all. I mean, you're, oh, you're yeah. just a killing machine uh, and a Nazi, a former Nazi, you know, but still, but that's that's part. I was only a briefly member of party and it wasn't much of a party. Well, no, uh, but you, you still were there. So uh, there's a lot of great games to look forward to. Uh, certainly Dungeon Crawl Classic. I can't wait for that game to happen. The anecdotes will... Uh, flow freely. Uh, I probably actually, you know, I have an idea of running for you guys and for the masks of Nine Lothar Death Group because I kind of want to see how Bill and Sean take to the peasant well, mob. Somebody better, well, yeah. well, somebody, better, somebody better visit a Brown Derby that day. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you need that, uh, but oh. Uh, but so that ends episode 113 Van Art Gaming. Uh, this is Russ Payton. I'm Tom Church. Uh, still Caleb. Still Caleb. Caleb, we'll talk to you guys Until next time. Changes. Yeah. <laughs>